Jordan and Gretzky, Serena and Ruth Remembering great ones is easy to do But what about the no names who spent their whole lives Long stepping footballs and catching sack flies They're guys, remember that guy some guys now lopez wants it away and it's hit deep to left center andrew jones on the run this one has a chance home run mike piazza and the mets remember that guy the show where we mine our memories for nuggets of nostalgia about peripheral players past and present hey there folks it's me one of your hosts james and much like mike piazza we are here to heal the nation on this 11th of september Diaz, back with you once again. It is our solemn duty to remember guys. We can never forget them on this day. We do have a very special guest with us today, though. It is the man who was on the call for that infamous home run that James just announced. We're so thrilled to have you. Please introduce yourself. Ooh, who is this? Let's let's guess Bob Costas, having no idea who, who did this. What, am I close? You know if the next thing that they said was Carl Malone being a stand-up individual. Oh, did, I have no idea. I don't listen to the quotes past the point that I need to know them for this. I have to pick a different one every single week. Well, who, who said who said the quote though? I, I just looked up the video of Mike Piazza hitting the first home run <laughs> after September 11th to lift a nation's spirits, which is what I'm trying to do here on this episode coming out on 9/11. Well, I just got to say one more thing about Bob Costas while he came up. It is a shame that I think the one NBA Finals that he got to call was Jordan in 98 because Marv Albert, say whatever you want about him off the court and you some interesting things, but an infamous voice in NBA history. From there, I think Mike Breen kind of takes the torch and now Mike Breen also would have been fantastic to have him call it. And we get the one year of Bob Costas and it was a good call, but it wasn't an iconic call. I mean, and Bob Costas doesn't do NBA anymore. I think, you know, I think that's part of it. But. I found who it is. It's Howie Rose, which I should have known because of one of my favorite calls of all time. Matteau behind the net, swings it in front. He scores! Matteau! 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 Stefan Matteau! And the Rangers have one more hill to climb, baby! And it's Mount Vancouver! Well, we're really you, starting James. off on a great Just note. Just for you, James. Yeah, thank you for this beautiful throwback to 94. I want to live more in the present than 1994. So Xavier, why don't you tell me what's making memories for it? So for the first time, I'm not going to give people an update on realignment or Spain because it's all a shit show. Just leave it for now. Instead, I want to talk a little more about the FIBA World Cup. USA bouncing back from bad loss to Lithuania to then just... It was a great loss. It was a strategic loss. Strategic loss to avoid playing Serbia and then just dump all over Italy. The Italians never had a chance. You got a pissed off USA team, beat them by 40, and it wasn't close. Meanwhile, Lithuania gets blown out by Serbia. So yes, as Diaz said, strategic loss, avoid the Serbs, take out your frustrations with the Italians. Meanwhile, Dylan Brooks does what Dylan Brooks does and gets himself ejected, but also does enough pestering to get Luka Doncic ejected and Canada beats Slovenia. And then last quarterfinal, Germany just barely beats Latvia by two. 
And now we, we have some juicy semifinals. USA versus Germany. Germany, I believe, the only undefeated team so far in the tournament at 6-0, and led by Dennis Schroeder, who somehow morphs into, like, German god when he's playing internationally. And Serbia versus Canada, which should be a really, really good game. Like, Chai has been the best player, I think, in the entire tournament. But the Serbian team is really deep, and, like, just their, their chemistry is phenomenal. I still think it's going to be USA versus Canada. You know, let's go North America final. But it wouldn't be the craziest thing for either Germany or Serbia to win those games. Uh, but we won't have long to find out. And by the time that this comes out, everyone who's listening will know because the semis are Friday, a.k.a. tomorrow for us, and the championship is on Sunday. So excited to see what happens. It's been a really good World Cup so far. Oh, and the USA is going to the Olympics, as we expected, because the USA and Canada are the last two North American teams left in. Speaking of U.S. stuff, the U.S. Open has still been going on, and it's still been fantastic. We got the two women's semifinals tonight. We got Coco Goff and Madison Keys. And there's a good chance we could have an All-American final, which would be very fun and also make me really worried about Coco not getting her coming out party, really, and losing to a fellow American. It's tough. I feel like we just had Tiafo versus Ben Shelton, and Tiafo had gotten so used to feeding off the crowd, rooting for the American, that he kind of wasn't able to do that against another American who's also a crowd favorite. And without that, he didn't really play his best and got upset. And I feel like Coco has kind of been the same way in like feeding off the crowd's energy. And would that be the same if it's All-American matchup? We'll see. But I would love it if we got an All-American final. And I would love it if Coco could get her first. And, you know, good luck to Ben Shelton against Novak. I, we just saw what we saw. Novak demolish Taylor Fritz in straight sets. Guy's a crazy anti-vax dude, but he's... Really, really good at tennis. I have two U.S. Open thoughts. First of all, Coco Golf's going to have the crowd behind her in every single match. I wouldn't worry about the Tiafo effect happening with her. But secondly, I just have to criticize the way that tennis determines its rankings because I don't know exactly how it's done. But what I do know is that they're already saying when the rankings come out next week, Djokovic is going to be the new number one. This is independent of if the current number one beats him in the final, Carlos Alcaraz. You two are more about the numbers and the analytics, but me as a strict eye test person. So my understanding is, just to give it like, I'm not saying I agree with this. My understanding of how the scoring works is you are getting a certain number of points for your finishes. And so at this point, he has guaranteed himself a high enough finish that his margin over anyone else will still be sufficient for him to be the number one ranking and the rankings underneath him yet to be determined. But that, that is my understanding of the system. It's also like a rolling system. So like weeks will fall off and add on. It's like for like a full year. So maybe Alcaraz had a really good thing a year ago and that's going to fall off regardless. And I don't think Novak was at the U S open last year because of the vaccine requirements. So that would mean that him not getting any points, from last year's U.S. Open would also fall off, which I'd assume would probably bump up his ranking, like, significantly. Someone should shoot him with a dark gun full of vaccine. 
Be, no, it'd be a great idea. Listen, there's yin and yang. There's the Monica Salas, and then there's the hopefully one day Novak Djokovic. This is not with the intention doctor. to kill. This is a, a protection thing. To, to immunize, of course. Of course, we're looking out. There's the Monica Salas attack, and there's the Novak Djokovic heroic vaccination. Well, other than the U.S. Open, Diaz, what is it that's rattling around in your brain right now? What well, is about to be the first week of NFL season. And what that also meant is that it's the start of fantasy football season. And I got to say, folks, I've been saying for a couple of years, I don't have a problem. I think it's spiraling out of control. How many? Well, let's count. So dynasty. <laughs> We're going into year 13 of, of my, uh, my Temple Dynasty League. So that's actually pretty cool. Then we have the Sammy Dynasty that I'm in with Xavier. And then we have the third dynasty that I'm in that's with some brothers, some people from that first league. So that's three. Redraft leagues. I'm in one league with my girlfriend. I'm in one league with my barber. I'm in one league with also fraternity brothers. I think there's one more that I'm forgetting. And the fact that I can't remember specifically what that one's for tells you that this is a problem. I that you have maintained even if there's that one more single digits i do want to give you that oh it's um jose's home league had an opening so i just slid on in yeah so just join with a bunch of people you don't know just because you need to scratch that itch the big problem with that though is how many leagues are you going to have where you have opposing loyalties and it's in one league i need these guys to do great in this league i need them all to suck you're gonna be like what do i root for do i want do I want them to win? Do I want them to lose? I don't That's know. Just, and it's just going to add an extra layer of stress you don't need. It's just hedging bets. That's all you're describing. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very, very thin needle that I can thread where I just win every week. It's a super thin needle. And we'll see if we can thread it. The thing is, though, to help combat against what you're saying, Xavier, I do try to get a lot of shares of players that I like. So... Players that we're big on this year. If you're listening to this, you definitely already drafted. Try and trade for these players. I think they're pretty good. Terry McLaurin. Sam Howell's being slept on too much. He fell off way down draft boards, way more than he should have. He's still that same quarterback that we all thought he was. And Terry McLaurin has put up numbers with, among others, Jacoby Brissett, Carson Wentz, one-legged Alex Smith. He can win with anybody. Terry McLaurin, way undervalued. Get him. Also, really like Puka Nakua as a very late-round guy. Cooper Cup's injured. Somebody's going to have to catch passes in L.A. And they love Puka. And also, Puka Nakua is just a fucking fantastic name. And if any sport adheres to the rule that if you have a cool name, you're going to be a good player, it is football. That is the sport that adheres to the rule. So I would say go get those two guys. And, I mean, obviously, QB1, Jalen Hurts, baby. Lock it in. I, I'm not in his bad. I'm in one fantasy football league, and it's in Baltimore. And obviously, Lamar went in the first round. No shit. Um, Justin Tucker went in the third round. And I just need to say that those are the people that really have a problem, Diaz. No, those people, I like, those are the people that, like, I took a, I they, will they, admit, they... I took him in the eighth last year in this same league. And I, Cops like, hey, yeah, no, I'm I'm making sure here in the eighth round that I get my kicker. I honestly respect those people more because 
you know those teams are going to end up being in the championship anyway. You just know it's going to work out that way. It's like the person when it comes to March Madness that's just, well, I'm picking based on what my favorite color is out of these two, and they end up calling the Final Four perfectly. I'm happy with two. I got the one Dynasty League. I got the one redraft with work. This way, my, I only have to worry one or two times do I, uh, do I start Van Jefferson as my flex this weekend because he's probably going to be what is your number one for the Rams for this game. Or do I start Antonio Gibson, who has a very good matchup against a terrible Cardinals defense? If I had to do that with six or seven leagues, I think I'd just say F it and not pay attention. Trying to go seven for seven, baby. Nobody says we can do it. I don't say I can do it. We're going to see if I can do it. (laughs) I'm my own biggest hater. You have to put the pressure on. Now that we have talked about everyone's favorite topic, which is other people's fantasy teams, uh, Diaz, is there anything else you have this week? What else? James Harden is now saying that Ramona Shelburne is a liar. I think that's pretty funny. Because, like, what's she lying about? What reason does she have to lie? And the other thing is... If you follow the NBA close enough, you can kind of tell based on who's reporting what, what their sources are. Because you just like, there's common things that come up like, oh, this person does this. It's like a Bradley Beal thing, whatever. Ramona Shelburne has written the MVP feature for Joel Embiid each of the past two years. Very close relationship with them. If anybody told Ramona that James Harden was pouting, it was Joel Embiid. And knowing that, I'm not happy with the way he finished the playoffs. But if he's willing to say fuck James Harden when the rest of us are also saying fuck James Harden, I'm all the way back in on him. I'm he all the way back in on the Sixers. He's he always re- known how to pander. He's not Bryce Harper levels. Nobody no. will ever touch Bryce Harper. But no, listen, Embiid knows to play the classics. He said he didn't care about Ben Simmons, and he said James Harden was pouting. This is just me connecting to the tea leaves. This isn't actually a thing. But the tea leaves... They form, we read them, we're here to discuss them. I'm all the way back in on the Sixers. Just give Tyrese Maxey the keys, and let's just see how far he fucking takes us. He's going to be going 100 over a curve. We might go flying off the edge. (laughs) He might just hit that drift straight on into a pool. Oh, you're such a sicko. I love it. But, I mean, as much as I'm a sicko for the Sixers... I'm sure there's at least one or two things rattling around there that you're an absolute sicko for because they're making memories for you, James. Indeed. You see. Somebody once told me the world is gonna roll me. Sadly, that is the intro to some negative news, which is that Steve Harwell, the lead singer for Smash Mouth, the band featured there, in case you didn't know, did pass away this past week on September 4th at the age of 56 due to liver failure. Steve Harwell, very much, I think, a musical guy, is like many guys, a complicated person. He has had many substance abuse issues that were both precipitated by health problems and then, of course, further exacerbated those same health problems. But even though he wasn't the writer for that song, that would actually be former band member Greg Camp, that voice singing All Star is omnipresent in the sports world as well as in the Shrek world. As early as 1999, when it came out, it was played live at the Home Run Derby at Fenway Park that year by Smash Mouth. And since then, it has been hugely intertwined with sports. But the reason specifically that I wanted to take a moment to remember Steve Harwell is because Steve Harwell also seemed to be the person in charge of the Smash Mouth Twitter account. And the Smash Mouth Twitter account 
is a really big Bay Area sports fan. And so I wanted to take a moment to kind of go back in time. Enormous Bay Area fans, specifically, we should say, Sharks and Warriors. That's easy. And then between the baseball teams and the football teams, it was Niners and Giants primarily. Was even as recently as 2022 this year, when he was no longer a touring member of the band, but still reportedly had control of Twitter, was talking through the whole, you know, Correa and Arson Judge saga. I, I want to share a couple highlights that I found while trolling through here. Uh, he's a very complicated history with Draymond Green because he's like defend him against LeBron, but then didn't defend him against KD. He was a big Trent Balky defender while he was the GM for the Niners. Huge Trent Balky guy. Thought that they should have a three QB backfield of Trey Lance, Jimmy G, and Debo Samuel. Uh, when once asked if you could have a dinner with any five dead or alive people, who would you invite? His five, Willie Mays, Barack Obama, Pete Rose, Steph Curry, and Ronald Reagan. Who was governor of California. Like that, I believe, is the connection, but still a bizarre five. I mean, it starts off good with Willie Mays. And then we just start getting a little, I mean, Steph Curry too. Like, I, I also approve of Steph. We take some zigs and zags there. Pete Rose and Reagan would form a <clears throat> click at that dinner. I know it. I just feel it. That's fine. They can go off by themselves. And then the other three seem pretty fine. Two from 2019. This one, January 10th. At the Kyler Murray. Yo, Kai, would love to watch you play in the at NFL, but you're going to make more dollar sign in the at MLB and play longer. Fastest QB we've ever seen, though, and dude can throw. Tough decision for sure. Maybe play both at athletics? Really trying to make sure that everyone gets a part of the conversation. That has one like. You didn't talk about the athletics a lot, but the most memorable thing was actually a time that it was not quite as sunny between Smash Mouth and the athletics. So in 2016, Coco Crisp was playing for the Cleveland baseball team, now the Guardians, and they were in the World Series. And in game three, big RBI single was the only run scored in that game over the Chicago Cubs, gives them a 2-1 lead. John Shea is a writer who's on Twitter that night. He says, Coco Crisp goes from accusing A's of benching him to prevent $13 million option from vesting to hitting key RBI single for Indians in World Series. Sorry that I said it there. My bad. At Smash Mouth. The A's are a joke. Good for CeCe, as a reply to that. Well, the Oakland A's found that tweet, and they decided to start a conversation with old Smash Mouth. Here's the first response. Oakland Athletics, at Smash Mouth, insulted by Smash Mouth, hashtag PFFT. Smash Mouth said, you guys made zero key additions last offseason. Same thing this offseason. You have great fans. Come on, give them something. I think we can all agree even more so now than then. It was a very fair assessment of the Oakland Athletics. Sean Doolittle, reliever at the time for the Athletics, gets into the mix. Hey, hey, guys, come on. Why can't we be friends? Last year was rough, but I'm a believer. I want to say, while that is clearly a reference to two Smash Mouth songs, it is also perfect that those are two Smash Mouth songs that are covers, and that Smash Mouth wrote neither of those songs. <laughs> Smash Mouth in response just last year, not saying you should expect a World Series, but this team is doing stuff way too cheap. Oakland Athletics. Guess you've got it all figured out, except how to make a hit since 1999. After this, the final, like, bullet fired by the Oakland Athletics that I just want to hang on. And you have no fans. They all graduated college 18 years ago and grew up. Do the same. They... Iron things out over Twitter eventually, but Smash Mouth got into a fight with the Oakland Athletics one time on Twitter, and Steve Harwell and all of his complicated edges will be missed. 
anyway, that's that's yeah. sports fan smash mouth. I if we're not gonna sit here and talk about the sports opinions of the guy that sang All Star, what are we even doing? I also I love anybody that tweets at the person. Mm-hmm. Like when they're discussing the thing. Because to me, that's like it's not just I'm not just stating my opinion. I want to make sure that you see it, which is like a very specific and like confrontational thing, I think, to do on Twitter, which I respect wholly. Hey, this has to be broadcast. This is the sporting opinion of Smash Mouth. But enough Smash Mouth sporting opinions. It's time for some second opinions. Xavier, we are here now in our seventh relitigation. Why don't you go ahead and refresh our memories on how we'll be going about this before you get things rolling? So... For everyone who forgot how this works, I, James, and Diaz will each be bringing up someone from one of the other two who we think was overlooked and deserves reconsideration to be inducted into the Hall of Guys. So I'll bring someone from James and someone from Diaz. Diaz will bring someone from me and someone from James and so on and so forth. They could get in. They might not get in. We usually try to keep it unanimous. But it's essentially just a way for us to go back on some guys that we think, you know, maybe they were brought in in a really tough category and didn't get the consideration they deserved. There's a lot of good guys that, you know, deserve a second chance. And that's what we're here to do. And it is important that Xavier points out, we do try to be unanimous. However, it was John Runyon who was famously denied entry into this hall upon renomination for relitigation. So it is possible. It has happened. It has happened, and I don't even know, like, we didn't settle whether or not it has to be unanimous, because eventually Xavier just flipped his vote, and so it ended up being 2-1. We'll, we'll hash it out as we go. We're building the plane as it starts flying, and I would like to get things kicked off with our first pilot. All right, well, I promised Diaz that I would do this about a month ago. I'm a man of my word. Gotta bring back Mitch Canham. Because that category was a lot about the remaining Pack 4 now Pack 2 we didn't really get a chance to focus on some of the things that I think are the most interesting about Mitch Canham. There are just a couple things I wanted to get into before really talking about that. I find it absolutely crazy that Oregon State has their head coach position for baseball named after their previous head coach. So Mitch Canham's title is the Pat Casey head baseball coach. So no matter how good he does, he will always have another coach in front of his name for his title, and he could never be better than the second best coach of, on that team. They're not going to rename it the Pat Casey Mitch Canham head baseball coach. So, so when he introduces himself, he says, hey there, Pat Casey head coach Mitch Canham. His official That's title confusing. is Pat Casey head baseball coach Mitch Canham. It's a lot more common at universities now than you would think. Most places just skip over it and would just say, oh, yeah, head coach. But formally, whenever the university gives a press release or if they put a, a placard in front of them at a press conference, it's going to say Pat Casey, uh, head coach of baseball. When he's wearing like his military dress uniform, but the basketball coach version of it, and he's got all those little pins, that's when they have to address him that way. <laughs> Pat Casey, head baseball coach, third degree or whatever, Mitch Canham. Yeah, I'm on his Oregon State webpage right now. It says Mitch Canham, Pat Casey, head baseball coach. No matter what, he will always have a better coach linked to him in his job title. 
which I think is just it is the most guy thing that could happen, no matter how good you are. This is also better great. guys in your title. And it's perfect because like I didn't really give a shit about the Pac-12 like two months ago. And we've just been talking about it so much for the last two months. And we've just been so in this division. And now just another like delightful wrinkle about it. And man, I weep for the end of it. I wish I had appreciated it more while we had it. Yeah, so can never be better than the second best head coach. Can never be better than the second best catcher. Thanks to our good friend, Adley. He, in almost any other school, would have had the chance to be the best at all these things. And he just, he's going to be stuck being number two, no matter what. Outside his Oregon State career, I was so intrigued by his minor league career, specifically his minor league coaching career and his desire or his ability to avoid anything other than smaller locations where you can kind of fly under the radar. I mean, even if we just talk about his playing career, Lake Elsinore Storm, the Midland Rockhounds, the Long Island Ducks, the Northwest Arkansas Naturals, Omaha Storm Chasers, but his coaching career starts off in Clinton, Iowa, with the Clinton Lumberjacks. Does anyone know where Clinton, Iowa is? It's in heaven, isn't it? Exactly. (laughs) It is a town smaller than my hometown. It has about 20,000 people. And he goes there in his first and only season, sets the franchise winning record with 86 wins. And immediately gets bumped up the ladder to Modesto, which I also think no one knows where Modesto is. Modesto, and, California? Yeah, but do you know where in California Modesto is? It's like halfway up the California, I think. What does that mean? Like on the coast or in the I'm middle? So between like-, like LA and San Francisco, it's like the middle. No. Well, I tried. Modesto is in the middle going between San Francisco and Nevada. No one knows where Modesto is. And he becomes the coach of the Nuts. The Modesto Nuts. Great name. Wins the division title his first season. And then he gets bumped up again to the, the Mariners' next highest level, the Arkansas Travelers. Little rock, little too big for him wins the first half division title, and then immediately pieces out to go back to Corvallis. He's like, nah, 200,000 people in Arkansas? Too many. I, get, get me out of here. I'm going back to a college town. I love that. I just, I love the arc of his career. And also, I'm like 99% sure he never coached them because he joined the Nuts right after Canham left and then joined the Travelers right after he left. But I'm going to give Mitch Canham credit for Cal Raleigh's success as a fellow catcher. Because the big dumper is definitely a future guy. And I'd like to believe that even if he didn't get directly coached by him, he saw Mitch Canham as, you know, oh, this is what I can aspire to be. And that's why he's so good. Okay, now we're giving coaches that haven't interacted with players credit for those players' career because they happen to be in a similar geographic area. This well, may have gone a little it's, too it's, far. It's more of it's all six set the travelers up for success and then left. And then right after he left, Cal Rowley got called up to the Travelers and got to benefit from the success that Mitch Canham started off. And that's what made him great. It's all six degrees of Mitch Canham. All good things can (laughs) eventually be tied back to something that Mitch Canham did. Yeah, I'm I'm all in for Mitch Canham. I like it. I like it. It was on my short list, and, and so that makes things easier for me later. 
Uh, in fact, since that makes things easier for me later on that end, D Diaz, if you don't mind, if I may. Please. Xavier, I want to talk for just a moment about Tarye Bo because I do believe that biathlon is a sport. We need to find a way to get it in there. We need to get basically competitive winter forest hunting in this. <laughs> and so often we have the overshadowed younger brother. Man, you got to be a good guy to be the overshadowed older brother. Like that takes some gusto because like Mark Schultz, that's an overshadowed younger brother. This is literally a guy who had a chance to make his mark first and just got beat. But after last week, after seeing how passionately Xavier felt, I did do my due diligence and go back and look at some more guy Martin stuff. Uh, in addition to some of the stuff that I you know, watched of his videos, I did go back and look at some information about him. I don't know. Did you mention that he worked for his dad and got like, he literally worked as a mechanic under his dad. I don't know if we discussed that. Any so so he, he, he did when he was coming up as like, as a kid. And then, you know, he went off and got his own experience working for Volvo. And then like as an actual professional adult worked for a totally separate company, but yeah, he benefited from the fact that his dad was racing in the Isle of Man TT. So he grew up around learned engines and learned mechanic stuff from his dad initially. But like his dad really kind of did it more as a hobby than anything else. And even though, like I said, Guy never went full professional status, way deeper into that than his dad ever was. And Xavier, like, don't don't try and undercut yourself here. I'm just saying I think you had more ammo there. I think you had the opportunity to talk about like, yes, he was asked to be on the new edition of Top Gear with Matt LeBlanc, but he was asked to do it by Chris Evans. Just not that Chris Evans. The we talked about Evans. the other blank. And once again, you had a shot there. You, you touched on the endurance sports a little bit, but like you could have, I think, the idea of talking about his love of trying to break himself. I, I think you could have tried to round it out. The number one thing, Xavier, that I want to say, though, about your case, I, you got to do the silly voices, X. I like thought more and more about it. And I really think if you just Can't did the Guy Martin voice, if you just tried... I think I would have been more swayed. You gotta do the silly voices. You guys. know me from Monster of the Week. Every NPC has the same voice. I, uh, I, I, and I wouldn't want to butcher Guy Martin's. You said you've watched some of the videos. It's, it's an is, impregnable voice. voice. Is yeah. great. I'm, I'm just saying, put a little mustard on it. <laughs> last thing, I, we talked about two of Guy's books. I do just want to share the last three book titles that he has, and then I'll be done with my Guy Martin pitch. Guy Martin, colon, Worms to Catch. We need to weaken the mixture. Dead men don't tell tales. And of course, Guy Martin, we already know that because as you've told us, when you dead, you dead. You dead. Anyway, it's Guy Martin. It's gotta be Guy Martin. When you guy, you guy. I think that's very, very poetic. <laughs> There's something there. There's something there. No, I mean, no notes. I, I do love how... Your case for Guy Martin was also simultaneously shitting on Xavier's presentation of Guy Martin. No, it's, it's, we already said the things we loved about Guy Martin last time. I wanted to like go back and tell Xavier, this is how I think you could have swayed me more to your position in the first place. I try to keep them targeted towards the, like the topic that we're talking about. But now I know that James's brain enjoys it better if I reference the Nepo babies that we've already done or... Same name, lesser accomplishments, anything like that. So I, I'll, I'll remember this for the future to try to 
focus on the main topic, but tie in as many other topics we've done as possible. But you're just, I think, in that moment, establishing a better case for them as a guy if they've hit all of these other categories that we've already decided are worthy for guy examination. Fair enough. And I mean, as the deciding vote on last week, it was literally just because the guy's name was Guy for Dead. Yeah. Like, and I'm going to be an American and say it the way that it looks. So it is Guy <laughs> for Dead in my head. And I can never forget that guy. But Diaz, are there any other guys that we should be remembering? Well, to close out the first time through, I guess I want to go to, to you, James. And earlier today, again, we're recording this on Thursday. The NFL season has not yet kicked off as we speak, but it will inevitably, and then it will continue for several months. I'm very excited football's back. I was watching just random stuff on the NFL's YouTube page, and what came up was the 2001 Patriots run. And I mentioned this during the episode, and it's just one of my favorite things in football history. When it's 17-17 in the Super Bowl, Tom Brady goes back out onto the field, and whoever their offensive coordinator was at the time, I think it might have been Romeo Cornell, whoever it was. The coordinator says, hey, be careful with it. Like, don't do anything crazy. And then Brady starts to the field, and then he gets called back by somebody. And Drew Bledsoe, the man who's been replaced by Tom Brady, who has every right to be pissed off at Tom Brady, the man who came in in the AFC Championship game and won the AFC Championship for the Patriots, yet still got denied the opportunity in the Super Bowl. He calls him back, and he says, hey, Tom, Fuck that. Go out there and sling it. A pettier person who's more concerned about just themselves wouldn't do that. But a true guy looks out for the team and is only concerned about the team's accomplishments. A true guy empowers other guys. Tom Brady's certainly not a guy at this point. But at that moment, if that was where Tom Brady's career ended, Tom Brady would have been one of the greatest guys of all time. And it's really just Tom Brady's fault that he strayed so far from the path of guidem. Because if he would have just stuck with Drew Bledsoe, Tom Brady could have been the first person inducted into our hall if he had just followed in Drew Bledsoe's path. A, but he didn't. A fifth rounder that, that backs him up for one magical season where he wins a franchise's first ever Super Bowl? Absolutely. It would have been incredible. And it was a sixth rounder, too, which just sixth makes it even crazier. I'm disrespecting Tom Brady, I guess. Number 199. But no, I just... While Drew Bledsoe is a cowboy... My everlasting memory of him in a Cowboys uniform is throwing an interception that ended Terrell Owens' return game, which is still the most intense regular season Eagles game I've ever watched. And it was a great gift that he gave me in throwing that interception that Lito Shepard returned. So the least that I can do is return that favor to him and put him back forth for inauguration into our illustrious hall. It's a very similar to Kurt Flood situation. Like, look, your Philly fandom cannot possibly let them get in through normal means, but perhaps. Exactly. Exactly. Like, and it, I think that's truly the Philly spirit. Like at first, hey, fuck you. And then the second time, ah, you're right. Come on. Yeah. Well, speaking of the second time, do we want to snake today or do we want to throw back to Xavier? How's it sound? I'll keep going. Snake. Yeah, because if you throw back to me, I'll just do two straight on James. So Serpentine. Yeah, we'll serp it. So we'll serp it back to Xavier. James, you alluded to it, and I'm just going to finish it. I really kind of like grabbed the reins of that conversation in the Done Dirty by Biopics episode. And in so doing, 
I definitely was blinded to how incredible the story is of Mark Schultz. Part of it is probably a little personal bias. I don't think I brought this up during the episode, but my grandfather was the tax accountant for the DuPont family. So anytime, that up. <laughs> anytime a story comes up relevant to the DuPont family, I kind of just get a little icky about it. I kind of just like who don't want to acknowledge Fox it. Catcher. <laughs> Wouldn't that be incredible? Who, if who would you if they, cast to play him in Foxcatcher? Who would I cast to play my grandfather in Foxcatcher? Feels like a real Clint Eastwood type. <laughs> I think I, he fits could, the uh, vibe of Foxcatcher. Can you imagine if they just had like a, a random five minute scene where Steve Carroll walks in and he's like, so how are my taxes coming along? <laughs> like, oh, yeah, you know, we actually got a couple deductions here and uh, they're coming along pretty good. And this All is right, like good. 2014, <laughs> like peak Clint Eastwood talking to the empty stool on stage, anti-Barack Obama Clint Eastwood. Yeah, and we'd also be playing it loose with the timeline because this, this all went down, the murder happened in 2014? No, no, no the that's movie the movie comes out in 2014. Movie came out in 2014. Okay, cool. I was going to say, my grandfather died in like 06. So. 06, I believe, is when the murder happened. Well, there you go. If my grandfather would have still been around, who knows? He could have set him straight no, with some nice 96, common 96, sense tax 96, law. Off by 10 years. Nah, play it loose with the timeline. I mean, they do in the movie, so. Exactly. We'll play, we'll play it loose, but the one thing that I don't want to lose sight of is that Mark Schultz belongs in this hall. Hey, the two of you picked the two people that I felt the most aggrieved about, so I'm not going to complain about any of these. I watched an entire two and a half hour interview between Mark Schultz and some Mormon guy on YouTube discussing his life and why he left the Mormon church that he had joined when he went to BYU after leaving the Foxcatcher farm. And if I'm going to do that, you know that I'm, I want this guy in the Hall of Guy. Xavier, I just want to say that's longer than the movie Foxcatcher. I know. <laughs> so I watched five hours of Mark Schultz content. <laughs> if you want, I saved it. I can send it to you because Mark Schultz rips a vape about 30 minutes in while, like, while answering a question. And I thought it was the funniest thing ever. And then it cuts back to him and then he answers the question. And it's about Mormonism. Well, that's that question. But I guess the next question is where I'm going from the Diaz crew. You helped me out a lot, Xavier, because Mitch Cannon was one of the ones that I was taking a look at. Other than that, I pretty quickly gravitated towards my number two. And so I'm, I'm happy that my number two is still here to be selected. I don't know how they wouldn't be. One of those two would be. That's just NAF. <laughs> <laughs> but How's this guy uh, still on the board? <laughs> how, how is he still on the board? Well, here's why he's still on the board. Because he soaks his hands in piss. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going with Moises Halu. I'm going with the guy that soaks his hand in piss. I'm going with the guy that Steve Barman took the ball from. I, I stand fully by the decision that I don't think it was necessarily appropriate for him to come in for best fan interactions. Again, it is the Steve Bartman incident, but the fact that Moise Salou adds the Steve Bartman incident to his otherwise already incredibly impressive career is just another cherry on the top for the guy credentials of Moise Salou. Like he's one of four people with 20 home run seasons to also have a father that had a 21 home run season. So Moise Salou is one, obviously Felipe Alou. Two of the other three are easy. Do you guys want to try and guess the three? The Griffies and the Bonds. Griffies. Griffies and the Bonds are the easy ones. The other one is, tell me if I mispronounce this, Dereal Ward? 
Daryl Ward had a dad named Gary Ward. They both had 20 home run seasons. Daryl Ward's the first person to ever hit a home run on the fly out of PNC Park into the Allegheny River. He also hit for the cycle at one point with the Pirates. And I've never heard of him before until I heard that stat. And what are guys but jumping off points for the careers of thousands of other guys that you get to learn about? Like how perfect that my looking into Moises Day brought me to Daryl Ward and Gary Ward. And yet this man only has six Hall of Fame votes unacceptable but again we think we know the reason for that and that's because his hands are soaked in piss and i wanted to take a moment to talk about the piss hands thing what what do you think they would want to accomplish with that you're trying to make your hands able to grip better grip better sure and what do you think is the texture you largely want from your hands i feel like you would want soft You do. You do want soft. And it works out well, because here's the thing. Urea, which is one of the main chemical compounds in piss, is actually very, very good at kind of rehydrating. It's in like a large number of any kind of like rehydrating lotions or salves or things like that. So it gives you like incredibly soft hands if you're soaking for a minimum of about five minutes, which is about how long it would take Urea to do that. So you're saying he should have opened up his own company Selling piss to other ball players so they can have soft hands. I'm saying that it is sterile, and that if you expose your hands for five minutes, there's something to it. I'm not endorsing it. I just wanted to give him credit that I agree with you, Diaz. That's probably what you would want, and it does seem like you would probably get it. I mean, it like that brings up like the pickle juice game to me for the Eagles. Like the Eagles had a game where it was like 120 degrees in Cowboys Stadium, and they all drank pickle juice on the sideline to hydrate. And it's like, okay, yes, that is a substance that works to hydrate very well. We do have better options. <laughs> like normally, we take that thing that you're getting from the piss, and we get it in much higher concentrations, and also in substances that aren't piss. But, I mean, if you want to do that, speaking of things that people can decide to do, Xavier, you get to decide one more guy for us to consider today. All right. So this one, I I really debated going back and forth between a couple different options. But in the end, I did have to go with the guy that I had considered bringing for the same episode. And that's Eddie Murray. I just think that Eddie Murray is the quintessential guy He's the greatest Canadian kicker who worked driving a forklift before becoming a kicker. Like, it, it feels like a backhanded compliment to add Canadian in front of that title. He's the greatest Canadian kicker. But it's just the most replaceable position in pretty much all of sports. And it's, it, it really is hammered home by the way his Wikipedia page is structured. So... I just want to read a couple of these. He was waived to make room for second-round draft choice Jason Hansen. He signed with the Kansas City Chiefs to play one game in place of an injured Nick Lowry. He was signed by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to replace a struggling Ken Willis. Was released when the team decided to keep an undrafted free agent, Michael Houston. Was signed by the Dallas Cowboys to replace a struggling Lynn Elliott. Was signed as a free agent by the Philadelphia Eagles to replace kicker Roger Ruzek. Released to make room for place kicker Gary Anderson. Signed by the Washington Redskins to replace a struggling Chip Lowmiller. Resigned, then released after being passed on the death chart by Scott Blanton. His whole page is just 
Find to replace struggling guy. Cut for other guy. And in between that time, he found a way to set a franchise record for the Lions in points, nearly outscore the Bills by himself in Super Bowl 28, kicked three field goals and had three extra points for 12 points. The Bills had 13. We were one point away from him matching the entire Bills total by himself. Kickers are so interesting in the fact that you can have a long career and still be just a replaceable guy. And I, I feel like it's just the quintessential type of guy that we want to recognize, someone like that, where it's like, oh yeah, he is a, like a, a, a fun trivia spot. Like, who was the kicker who led the Lions in franchise going before Jason Hansen? Or who was the Cowboys kicker who nearly outscored the Bills in Super Bowl twenty-eight? Who is the Canadian with the second most games in NFL history? All these little fun pieces of trivia that I think just are really like kind of what being a guy is about. The thing I need to say for Eddie Murray to especially emphasize how much he fit the category was right before you said you were going Eddie Murray, Xavier. I have our list up in front of me. And I was looking at just the names. I wasn't looking at the categories. I was like... Oh, yeah, Mike Jordan, the Penn basketball player. Oh, yeah, Billy Bean, not the general manager one. Eddie Murray. When did we talk about the Orioles? I, I just, that tickled me because obviously that just further shows how much he fit the theme for that week, which was same name, lesser accomplishments. Yeah, I mean, this is another one where it's tough because we are now going to pull in two Cowboys from James. But he was list, also an eagle. He was, he was also, also an eagle. eagle. He was also an eagle. So he's chaotic neutral, I think, is what I would describe my feelings towards Eddie. Thinking the exact right. same thing, but didn't want to say it because I thought <laughs> like you would just have no registration. So the fact that, thank you, Diaz, we're going to get you playing someday. Reviving. I, I do become a person that I do not like when playing games like that. I become very, very competitive. And I say things I don't mean. Eddie Murray's a guy, though. That, that's the main point of what I'm trying to say here. Also, shout out to Lane. Second biggest game of the week. Hopefully they beat Ole Miss. Yeah, shout out the Western guy that played for the college in New Orleans. Love that. And while I fully agree, Xavier, that later on he does fit a replaceable guy mold very much, you are starting there like right after he concludes the decade-long career with the Detroit Lions. Like first, he has a full arc. And if he'd retired at the end of that, he would have still been forever at least the second highest scoring player in Detroit Lions history. But the fact that he then did become this Ronin and, and go across the land, get himself a ring, set all of these weird franchise records in random spots. I, I think the two people that I probably most wanted to come on have, have made it through. I weep a little bit for James Jones. I weep a little bit for Dale Barra. But I'm pretty happy with Eddie Murray and Drew Bledsoe here being reconsidered by the two of you. Now, James Jones is great, I will say. I, w I was thinking about James Jones. The thing that I think held me up there is I think there's still so much of his story left, depending how this general manager career fair. pans out. He could turn out to be like the red hour back of the next generation. <laughs> and then in that case, I, he might elevate above guy status. But I'm, I'm happy with where we settled on all of these. Just to dwell on that for one more moment, we celebrated Bobby Plump for being better than Larry Bird at a couple of things. And it would be great if James Jones also got to be better at Larry Bird in terms of dual GM player career altogether. Just any time that we can beat Larry Bird, it's great. 
Man, Larry Bird. It is incredible that he said, I'm going to coach the Pacers for three years and that's it. In the third year, they went to the finals and lost and he stuck by it. Everybody knows that the bird is the word. If nothing else, Larry Bird is a man of his word. God, if he could have just been anybody but a Celtic, he'd probably be one of my favorite (laughs) players of all time. Do we have, I mean, as we look at this, like, do we have further thoughts about the six that we have before us? Do we have any further thoughts about people that now we've gone through those we're, we're there's no one that we need to to dwell on i'm not saying i have any i think i think this is the the appropriate half dozen to join everyone else and and to let them out of the basement but is there anyone else there down in the basement that we think maybe switches a place with one of these people about to come up do we snatch it away from them as they they see the light for a brief moment here no i, I think i think we have a really good six I will feel bad about Tarja Bo and also Dan O'Brien, but I think of the people on my list that were the top, Mark Schultz and Guy Martin were the two that I really would have gone hard for, so I'm glad that's you know just organically how it came up. I do like Cullen Jones a lot. You know, Anytime we could talk about that Olympics and that relay team is fun, but I had to go with Mitch Canham. I made my promise. And I do think that Moises Alou is was, you know, a little more deserving. Soaked his hands in piss. Like there's no way the guy that soaked his hands in piss wasn't getting in. I do feel bad for Max Bayer. I feel like he possibly could have gone in, but my my choices end up being narrowed down to Eddie Murray versus Dale Barra. And I think Eddie Murray just deserves it. And I can't really argue against Drew Bledsoe, even with my hatred of the Patriots and how. The Jets are responsible for Tom Brady, but I can't let my own personal biases get in the way of that one. So I I really like the six that we have. I don't think there's going to be a John Runyon type argument at the end of this one, at least from my end. The only other person I want to express regret for is I do think Layla Ali is fantastic as an ambassador and opening so many doors of women's boxing. I think we had some great boxing candidates this season, and to see none make it in as a totality is was it not? Well, yeah, I guess Steve Jenham is is not boxing. Yeah, you even I'm got me on the boxing train. I'm sure we'll see some more boxing down the road in due time. But with that being said, I do think it's hard to argue against Moises and Mitch coming from my side as well. So I just want to say that one word to recognize Layla. But I think we have, uh, I think we have our class. Well then, Diaz, would you like to welcome the class in? Absolutely. Let's let's swing open that door down to the RTG basement. We had some candidates down there. They've been festering, they've been pondering, they've been hoping that it would be their day to stride on up into the daylight and into our illustrious hall. And for six, it is that day. And because of that, it is now our duty to welcome Eddie Murray, Drew Bledsoe, Moise Salou, Mitch Canham, Mark Schultz, and Guy Martin into the hall that wasn't named for Guy Martin. But maybe we can put like a little asterisk there, put a Martin at the end. We'll see if we can get him a little something. But we don't want to show any preferential treatment to any of these guys because whether it is by name or by us assigning them as such, it is indisputable. All six of these are guys. Welcome to the Hall of Guy.
Indeed. And I just want to say, if we're going to name the hall after anyone, it's going to be Mitch Canham so that the hall can then be named the Paul Casey head baseball coach, <laughs> Mitch Canham hall of guy. We can make some wings in the hall of guy, like the guy Martin motorsport wing or something like that. We can figure something out. The Guy Forget tennis wing. You're going to take that away from Monica. This is, this is the second worst thing that's ever <laughs> happened to her. <laughs> Folks, that is going to do it for us here as we wrap up our time together with you. But we do want to thank some people. First off, as always, producer Craig and the team of coders behind him. Of course, our musical director, Don Ham, And above all, you, dear listener, for joining us. If you want to keep up with uh, anything that we find in the world or any of the guys of the day, you can find all of the information about that in our Discord and our Twitter. It's still Twitter at bit.ly slash remember that guy, all one word, all lowercase. Uh, we have a couple of special episodes coming up in the next month or so. We're not entirely sure what the next week one will be, but no matter what it will be, it will be good. And we hope that you will join us for that. Do you guys have anything to say until they do? Football's back, baby. Go controlled head injuries. Go controlled head injuries. Go flying objects, as always, from the three of us. And on behalf of the three of us, I've been James. I've been the very special guest, Xavier. And I'm Diaz. And in commemoration of the season starting, Thin Lizzy just came out with a sequel. The guys are back in town, baby. <laughs> <laughs>